All right, so, hey, just uh, one quick announcement, and that is, in a, in a few weeks, we'll let you know as it gets closer, but in a few weeks, uh, this is an announcement for just the guys, okay? In a few weeks, right after our morning service, um, we're going to, like, we have a desire to sort of re, uh, re-up the men's ministry. It's kind of... It's kind of been on the down low for a while. We haven't really done a whole lot. So we're going to kind of, that's our desire to kind of pick things up with men's ministry. So in a couple weeks after our morning service, and I'll tell you the exact date. It's between one or two. But I'll tell you, I'll, t- I'll get more specific. But um, we're going to just have like a little impromptu meeting right after service for about 10, 15 minutes. We want to invite all the guys to just hang out afterwards. We're going to just kind of gather right up here. And we're just going to kind of brainstorm and talk through a little bit about what we want to see men's ministry like moving forward. And uh, so we encourage everybody to come with some ideas. Uh, maybe we want to, what, what do you want to see? What activities? What can we do to, to just really uh, encourage one another as guys? And so, um, yeah, prob- in about three weeks probably is when we're going to do that. So I just want to announce it for the next few weeks. So you guys can be, um, be aware. I know that people are on vacation. I see some empty chairs. So we'll probably catch everybody in the next few weeks here if you've been traveling. So just keep that in your mind. Uh, if you're a guy, we're going to do that. And, um, and then get some stuff planned over, uh, maybe, especially when we get back in towards the fall, which will be here quick. Okay, so keep that in mind. All right, so last month, we, we started a new teaching series, and it's kind of t- entitled um, The Word and the Spirit. And basically what, it, what we've been talking about is how can we have a balanced, uh, healthy measure of both the Word of God and the Spirit of God? Like how can they go together in our lives so that we can be the best people that God wants us to be? And... Um, so over the last couple of weeks, we've been laying a foundation, right, to, um, to talk about uh, what, actually to, to build upon what we're going to be talking about over the next uh, few weeks, several weeks. And um, so the last two weeks, we asked two related questions, if you've been here, and I'll, I'll give them to you again. Um, and here they are. The first one was, can we have the Word, can we have the Word of God without the Spirit of God? And then last week we asked a really related question, just rearrange the words, can we have the Spirit of God without the Word of God? And the answer emphatically to both of those questions is no way, right? Absolutely not. We cannot have the Word without the Spirit, and we cannot have the Spirit without the Word. Why? Because a couple of reasons, but here's the most important one, is because the Spirit of God wrote the Word of God, right? He uh, inspired men as they wrote down His words. We've looked at those passages. And so there's a sense in which every time the Word of God is opened, read, taught, studied, whatever, the Holy Spirit is there in, in our presence when we're reading. So right now in this moment, as we get into the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit will be there. So we cannot have one without the other. We cannot separate them. So that's one thing we have to keep in our heads. We, we have to keep them close. Yet, on the, maybe on the other side of the coin, 
is there is a sense in which the balance can sort of get out of whack in our lives, right? And so that we can, um, we can overemphasize either the Word of God or we can overemphasize the Spirit of God. And if we overemphasize the Word of God, eventually, if you get on that road and all you, all you emphasize is the Word of God, Word of God, Word of God, and you ignore the Holy Spirit, it's going to lead you down into a road, and some people call that legalism, um, You'll be like the Pharisees in the, in the Gospels that Jesus pretty condemned pretty hard. You have a letter of the law, but you don't have any of the Spirit in you. And that's not a road we want to go down. On the other side, right, if we emphasize only the Spirit, 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 and we ignore the Word of God, well, what's going to happen? We talked about it last week. We're going to eventually wander away from the truth. And Paul had a... Paul had some pretty harsh things to say to the Galatians, if you remember that last week. So we cannot emphasize just the Word, and we cannot emphasize just the Spirit. We need them together in a balance in our lives. And, uh, and so that's what we've been talking about. That's what this series is all about. And, um, and that's why it's essential for us to be immersed in the Word of God. Not just on Sundays, but daily. Read it, study it, memorize it, think about it. Let it be a part of our active life. Let it govern the way we live. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit will be working through the words He wrote to help us live the kind of lives we want to live and that God wants us to live. And so, to that end, we've turned the corner in this series and now we've got this foundation laid and we're going to begin to build on it. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to turn to a ch one chapter in the Bible and we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at some highlights from this chapter in the Bible. Um, I, think it's, I think it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible when it comes to talking about the balance between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And um, uh, Romans chapter 8 is a chapter we're looking at. And to me, like Romans 8 is like a... Uh, it's almost like a greatest hits playlist, right, of, of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, if you, get on, if you get on Apple Music and you're like, hmm, I want to get some music by Fleetwood Mac, right, and so, or whatever your band is, you're like, hmm, what am I going to do? I, I want some, and there's a, there's a, I don't know if you do Apple Music, but there's a thing called the essentials. Have you seen this? You search for that, and you get, like, that's the first place you're going to start. You want some highlights from the music? You get the essentials. And that's, to me, what... Uh, Romans 8 is, it's a, it's a essential, it's a highlight list for um, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Um, you know, if we went back in time a couple of decades, it might be a mixtape, right? It was like, let's, whatever, whatever generation of music you live in, Romans chapter 8 is a highlight reel for the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do today, and just right now, we're going to kind of set up uh, Romans chapter 8, and then we're going we're gonna to get into the first four verses of the book. We're not going to look at every verse. Um, what we're going to do is just hit some highlights over the next several weeks. And um, Romans chapter 8, though, kind of like a, uh, how the Holy Spirit leads us into new covenant living. That's a good way to say it. The fact that the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us, that is to live inside of us, um, he enables us to live the kind of life that the Father wants us to live. Uh, 
So in the book of Romans, right, before Romans chapter 8, how many chapters has there been? Math question. Seven. You guys are good. And of those first seven chapters of Romans, there's been two references to the Holy Spirit in seven chapters. Then we come to Romans chapter 8, and there's 20 references to the Holy Spirit in this one chapter. So we can see that... um, that Paul is trying to uh, lead us down a certain teaching when we get to this. And I want to kind of understand, it's important to understand what's come before Romans 8, just real quick in the context, so that we understand really why this is important. Why a sudden emphasis on the Holy Spirit? Let me kind of this chapter. Well, I would say this, that I don't see it as, as much of a change of direction as I see it in the answer to the question that has been building in the first seven chapters of Romans. So far, in the book of Romans, Paul has been teaching uh, basically one thing, that, that people cannot be justified, that is, made right with God. We cannot be justified on our own. That's his teaching. We need help in order to be justified. We need help in order to be made right with God. Can you relate to that? Like, I can, right? Every day, I, we can relate to that truth. So here's, here's like the argument that Paul's been establishing in the first seven chapters. All people are born separated from God by sin. It doesn't matter if you are born a Jew or a Gentile. Um, all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of this sin, all people deserve death and punishment and wrath because the wages of our sin, what we've earned from our sin, is death. And because people are under this curse, this curse of sin and death, all of us need to be justified. We need to be made right with God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter, no matter you know, what, how many rules we follow, no matter how, how many boxes we check, no matter how, how much we try to modify our own behavior, um, we can never make ourselves right with God. True obedience is, um, is something that we trust God to enable in us. It's not something we manufacture within ourselves. This is the gospel. Not even complete obedience to the God's law has the ability to make us right with Him. And, and because true obedience is not something that we're able to do on our own, and because it's, it's, um, we need help in this area... Um, it's something that we're going to have to trust God to do in us. And so, Paul describes this struggle. Now, he's, he's taken us through this teaching, and now he gets to chapter 7, and he describes this struggle uh, that every believer has experienced um, as we try to sort of live our lives on our own with God. Um, if we try to present our best to God. He describes the struggle. Look at um, 
If you're there, look at chapter 7, verse 21. Um, I'll read a few verses here. So this is verse 21. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. We want to do what's right. We, we want to get up early in the morning and have our devotions. We want to come to church every Sunday, perfect attendance. right? We want, to, we want to give our money to the Lord. We want to do communion. We want to do all the things that we're supposed to do. We want to be people of prayer. We want to worship Him. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to do all these things. And yet, there's a whole big wide world out there that's fighting against us and trying to get into our mind and get into our heart and get into our soul. There's a whole uh, legion of evil spirits out there trying to step in the way of our relationship with God to keep us close to Him. And, um, and so if we're honest, those words we just read are kind of our words, aren't they? We want to do right. We want to do good. We want to walk with the Lord. But we just, we struggle with it. And, and I think Paul is establishing here, and what we're going to be talking about in a minute, is that um, our inner self, we want to please God, but the power to do so is just sort of out of our grasp. We can never sort of attain it. We can never sort of get it. We're, we're, we're almost, in a sense, we're almost in bondage to some of these things. It's kind of a downer, right? <laughs> it's kind of bad news. But the good news is that Romans, the book of Romans doesn't end after chapter 7. That's the good news. The good news is there's a chapter 8. And that's why I wanted to set this up. Because we need to feel and we need to understand and we need to be able to have fresh in our minds um, when we get to chapter 8 the, the glory of, of the message that we're going to read in just a minute. This is the good news to the bad news of chapters 1 through 7. And just because it was hard news to read, obviously, doesn't mean we shouldn't read it. We shouldn't remind ourselves of it. And that's why Romans chapter 8 is filled with 20 references to the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the justifying work of Jesus and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, all of would be lost. But all is far from lost because Jesus has justified us through His work on the cross like we celebrated this morning with communion. And the Holy Spirit has sanctified us and continues to sanctify us, continues to liberate us, continues to bring freedom into our lives. 
through his indwelling presence in us. We just sang a few minutes ago with that new song, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, the other word that some of, your, some of our translations use instead of freedom is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And Romans chapter 8 is the chapter of liberty through the Holy Spirit. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these 20 references to the Holy Spirit, starting with the first four verses today. Look at Romans 8, chapter 1. Today what I'm going to do is just give us four quick reasons. Actually, the first one is a little bit longer. The next three are real quick, so stick with me on that. Four reasons of how this liberty comes into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys with me? Look at Romans 8, verse 1. And if you know anything about me, if you've heard me teach more than two or three consecutive weeks, you know this is probably my, one of my favorite verses because I quote it all the time. In Romans 8, 1, um, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is probably, to me, one of the most triumphant and glorious verses in all the New Testament. What an amazing declaration. This is basically the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for me and for you and for you and for you because why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. Everyone who belongs to Jesus, every one of us here today who have believed and received and accepted, whatever word you want to use, we have received Jesus into our lives. This is true of us. We've been liberated. We've been set free from all condemnation. And so let's just take a look at, real quick, what is this condemnation that, that, um, that Paul means here? And what exactly does it mean that there is no condemnation? Okay, let's talk a little bit about this. In the most literal sense, here's your definition. Condemnation means to pronounce a sentence against a guilty person. I'll say it again. Condemnation means to pronounce a sentence against a guilty person. Um, it carries the idea, at least in this context, it carries the idea of penal servitude, meaning, meaning we not only guilty of a crime, but we have to go to jail or go to prison or do some time, right, because of that crime. There's a punishment that comes with the sentence. So we're declared or pronounced guilty, and then there's a penalty based upon that crime. Um, whether it's enslavement or imprisonment or forced labor, or something like that. That's the idea that's carried with this word condemnation. So when Paul says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, he means this, that there is no reason why those who are in Christ should go on doing penal servitude. There's no reason why any of us who are in Christ should go on and be enslaved or imprisoned as though we had never been pardoned or liberated from the prison house of sin. In other words, no condemnation means total freedom, complete liberty from sin. 
So if the bad news is 1 through 7, that we can't do anything to save ourselves from our sins, the good news is right here in in chapter uh, 8, verse 1, that we don't have to do anything. That's the good news. We don't have to do anything because why? Jesus already did everything. And we are in Christ. That's the good news. There's no condemnation awaiting us as we live our lives. There's no condemnation awaiting us when we face the final judgment. There is only liberty from the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing to remember here, though, is that condemnation is not the same thing as conviction. And I I know I've talked about this before, but it's important to to bring it up again here. Um, Although they may feel the same, condemnation and conviction, they're not the same thing. And let's talk a little bit about the differences of these, because sometimes we... Just in, as if we just take our feelings, we can't tell the difference between condemnation and conviction. And what are we even talking about here? Let's dig into this a little bit. Um, I think if we, if like, if we'd pass the mic around, <clears throat> if and if we were all honest about it, um, we'd probably um, each of us would say that there's, there either has been in the past or there is currently now something in our lives that we feel a little bit guilty about. Like there may be some kind of thing, little sin issue or something we've done or something we're doing or something we wish we weren't doing that we feel a little bit guilty about. Even though we know in our mind that we've been set free, there's still, we hold on to that a little bit. And, um, but we need to understand this is super important, that there is a... Uh, There's a big difference between feeling guilty and being guilty. There's a huge difference there. Uh, They're not the same thing. The main difference is this. Um, It's not really in the guilt that we feel, but it's in the source of the guilt. Okay, what do I mean? When we sin or do something wrong, which... um, which I think we all have. (laughs) When we do something wrong, and if our consciences are working well, and if the Holy Spirit is in our lives, um, we're going to feel what Scripture calls, and I'll just say it like this. You might not even agree with this statement, but this is I'm just going to say this for for sake of easy to understand, is that we may feel something I, I like to call true guilt. Okay, Not guilt in a negative sense, although that word often has that connotation, but think of it maybe even in a positive sense for a minute if you can. We feel true guilt. We feel, uh, maybe I'll say it like this, we feel sorry or sorrow for our sin. So we do something we shouldn't do, we do something wrong, and we feel this sorrow over our sin, a a true guilt. This is conviction, okay? And this comes um, simply we're being convinced that we've done or said something wrong. And conviction, although it it may be painful, and it certainly is painful, um, can be a good thing. Why can it be a good thing? Because it's ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, interesting verse. Listen to this for a minute. In John chapter 16, verse 8, 
Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, when He comes, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world about three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Remember that verse? Okay. Um, and just the verse before that, John 16, 7, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, anybody know? The Helper. So let me just say it again. When the Helper comes, He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's a good thing, isn't it? Sounds good to me. Jesus is, that's a promise there. That when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives and, and, and bad stuff happens and we, we disobey God in our heart or in our actions or in our words, the Holy Spirit is going to be there to help us. Not leave us in that, but deliver us. Set us free from that. Sounds like a good thing to me. Okay, so one of the ways the Spirit will help us is He will convict us of our sin. Um, this is a good thing, and it shows that we're actually walking in step with the Spirit. So if we're in a good place with the Spirit, and we, do some, we happen to, to slip off the path for a minute and do something we shouldn't do, and we feel, immediately feel sorry or sorrow for that, that's the Holy Spirit working in our lives to bring us back to the straight and narrow that Jesus talks about. Bring us back to that path He wants us to walk on. However, there is a, uh, there's another kind of guilt that we sometimes experience. Um, and this is a guilt that's not from the Holy Spirit. It comes from a, a more sinister source. And this is a type of guilt that we feel even when we haven't sinned or haven't done anything wrong, or it's the kind of guilt we feel when we're just, we think back on some lousy mistake we made 20 years ago and we're still beating ourselves up for it. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life. Some of you haven't lived 20 years. Let's say five years ago. And, um, and you're just beating yourself up. This is a, the kind of guilt that is not good. It comes from the enemy. Um, Maybe even you haven't even sinned. Maybe you even haven't even like disobeyed God and you still feel like a little bit of a sense of apathy or, or uh, guilt over something. Um, or maybe this, you, you fell off the wagon, right? We did something wrong. But through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you confess that sin, 1 John 1, 9. And when we confess our sin, He is faithful and to do what? Forgive us our sin 100% of the time. Okay, so when we sinned, we, we, we confessed it, we were forgiven, we repented of it, and, um, and that should be the end of it, but yet we still hold this little laboring guilt within us. We beat ourselves up, maybe we dwell upon it, like how stupid I am for doing that same old sin again and again. We, we kind of we get on ourselves a little bit. Um, we fail to forgive ourselves. We condemn ourselves for what we did wrong. And it's in these times we need to remember uh, this verse, Romans 8, verse 1, and declare it over ourselves. And we need to rebuke the demons in Jesus' name. And we need to say this, condemnation no longer exists in me because I am in Christ Jesus. 
You need to take that and put it in your mind and put it in your heart and have it ready. Have it ready in those times of guilt when they come upon you. There's a great verse in James. It says, excuse me, resist the devil and he will flee. That's a promise from Scripture. Resist the devil and he will flee. How do we resist the devil? Um, through prayer. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God. Stand firm against the devil and his schemes. When we see sin coming in our way, hold up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Do battle. These are just things the Bible talks about, right? These are just ways in which God's given us these privileges to stand against the enemy. Since God has set us free from condemnation, we must not condemn ourselves. So there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. They are not the same thing. We have been justified by faith and the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us. And so when God looks down on us, He no longer sees our sin. He no longer sees that old, dirty, filthy self. He's given us brand new clothes. We've been clothed with white, with the righteousness of Christ. And so when the Father looks down and He looks into our lives, He doesn't see any more condemnation. He only sees the righteousness of Christ in us. Because we have the Holy Spirit we have complete liberty from condemnation. Guys like that? You believe it? We need to believe that. It's true. Okay, that was the long one. Okay? Now I got three shorter ones. Alright? Verse 2. We've also been um, set free. We also have complete liberty from the law of sin and death. Look at verse 2. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now verse 2 introduces to us here the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us this liberty. Here, this little word here, law, in verse 2, the law, excuse me, the law of the Spirit of life, it carries the idea of, of principle. So read the word principle more than you read the word law here. It says this, when, when we were under the old principle of sin and death, um, but that has been um, overtaken, transcended by a new principle. And the new principle is life in Christ because we've been set free. The old principle showed us our sin. And again, that's what Romans 7 is talking about. Paul says, like, how would I even know there was no sin unless the law showed me that there was sin, right? So so there's a purpose to to the law. It shows our old sin. It it stirred up that sin um, so that we sinned even more. Um, And then it brought condemnation. So that's chapter 7. But the new principle, the the principle of the Spirit of life, 
liberates us. It sets us free. It brings freedom into our lives. The, the spirit of life um, eradicates death and replaces it with life. Meaning, not only are we have liberty from the law of sin and death, but number three, verse three, we have liberty from a sinful nature. We now have the righteousness of Christ. Verse three, what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Love those two words. God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. What a great picture of the Gospel this is, right? God sent His Son who took on Himself a human body and a human nature with one exception. And what was that? His sin, he didn't have a sinful nature. He had a human nature he didn't have a sinful human nature. Jesus took on human flesh without being a sinner. That's what qualified Him to go to the cross and to die on our behalf. Because only a, a blameless, spotless Lamb could die on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus being the pure and unsoiled um, human being with the perfect Pure sin, um, perfect, pure nature without sin. That's why God was able to accept the sacrifice of the cross. And that's why we celebrate that uh, when we take communion. Jesus' flesh, His human nature remained pure. It remained unfallen. <clears throat> and as a result, He condemned sin in sinful man. It's a beautiful phrase. Jesus, because of His purity, was able to condemn sin in sinful man, meaning that He conquered sin. So every sin, past, present, and future that we've ever done has been conquered through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. When we were born, fair or unfair, when we were born, our sin was imputed to us. It, meant, it means that before we even did anything wrong, we were born to this world sinful people. We inherited Adam's sin. I think that's in chapter 5 of Romans. I have to go back and confirm that. But because we were born in Adam, we had received his sinful nature from birth. And, and maybe you think, well, that's unfair. But, but, but what about the fair part? is that we'll all take this part, right? That, that when we receive Jesus, His righteousness was imputed to us. We take that one. We don't want that one. We want this one, right? But we need them both. There has to be bad news so there can be good news. And that's why there's no condemnation left for anyone who is in Christ. Because the condemnation has already taken place on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross... The full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, even though he didn't, never did anything wrong. He received the full wrath, the full punishment, the full condemnation that we deserve. Jesus took it in our place. And the scripture is very clear about why Jesus did that for us because he loves us. And through Jesus' victory on the cross, 
we have been totally liberated, not only from sin, but we've been totally liberated from sin's power over us. We're going to take a look at this in a few weeks. Later on in chapter 8, we'll actually infer that we're able to live lives like Jesus lived, lives that are completely free from sin. We've been given everything we need to accomplish this. And the most important thing we've been given to accomplish this is the fact that we don't accomplish it at all, but that the Holy Spirit accomplishes it in us. Because we know that none of us could ever do it on our own. So what does all this mean for us today? It means that, uh, verse 4, the fourth reason, that we now have liberty to walk in the Holy Spirit in freedom. Look at verse 4. In order, so go back to verse 3 real quick. Um, Sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that, the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to what? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when enters into our lives at our, the moment of our conversion, creates a new humanity. And this new humanity, this new life that we have because we're in Christ and sealed with the Holy Spirit, is characterized by walking according to the Spirit. This new humanity, though, um, through our union with Christ, uh, whose flesh never sinned, is infused with power so that we can live in a way that's pleasing to God, a way that we could never live on our own. But because the powerful life of Christ has been infused to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, now we can live this life that that pleases the Father. Everything God required from us, from people, is now realized in our lives because we're being controlled by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that phrase makes anybody uncomfortable, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. I like it. It just simply means this. When we yield ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, when we walk with Him, when we actively are not grieving Him, we're going to be liberated. We're going to be set free. And we no longer have any sin in our lives. And you're like, wait a minute, I, I still sometimes sin. Yeah, I, I do too. But the point is that through the Holy Spirit, the virtue and the perfection and the power of Christ's life is transferred to us. And the more and no more condemnation or guilt exists in our daily lives now, only the grace of God abounding to us more and more. <clears throat> So we have freedom to live exactly the same life that Jesus lived because the Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit liberates us through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so I just want to close right here with a, with a thought and a question. Because if we just walk away without responding to this teaching today, 
I think we do the Scripture and the Holy Spirit a disservice. Um, so actually, i got two questions as we close. <clears throat> the first one is, excuse me for a second. <clears throat> the first question is, if we have been completely uh, free from all condemnation by God, which I hope we com- understand that we have been, Here's the question. Shouldn't we extend this same liberty to other people? So I would would encourage you to give that some thought this week, maybe even today. Like how can, ask yourself, how can I extend this freedom to others? Maybe it's other believers. Maybe it's other unbelievers, maybe it's people in your own family, which sometimes are the hardest people, Um, how can I extend this liberty to others? I've not been condemned of my sin, so how can I extend this same freedom to others? Especially if you have unbelieving friends. You can ask yourself that question. But here's a more personal question, and I want us to really, um, I know this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, but look, I don't care. (laughs) Um, I just want us to get into a posture of prayer, okay? Whatever that is, if you want to kneel down um, before the Lord, don't be ashamed to do that. If you want to stand up and raise your hands, don't be ashamed to do that. If you want to bow your head and close your eyes like we're taught in Sunday school, you can do that as well. But get into a posture of prayer, and I'm going to ask us a question. And here's the question, and I want us to think about it for a, a solid minute. Okay, a worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song in just a minute. But I want us to get into our postures of prayer and here's the question. Ask yourself, I'm going to make it personal. What do I need liberty from today? Let the Holy Spirit bring to mind and heart the answer to that question. What do I need liberty from today?